chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You realize that we are right in the middle of this of the section on the Christian walk, which is the longest section with a lot of uh, practical applications. I know that uh, last week I didn't have a chance to kind of elaborate on this. Uh, there are still a few more copies of this, which is, uh, I guess, in the foyer. Uh, it would hopefully help to spur us on to make 2012 a great year. So it gives you suggest, give us suggestions as how to make this a great year. So let me ask that if you like, get a copy, and if you would want a copy and there are none out there, just send me an email and I'll forward you a soft copy. Now I'm sure you must have seen this Geico advertisement that I'm going to show you. Uh, the, the question was asked, do people use smartphones to do dumb things? And the answer is pretty obvious, right? 15% so what's the answer? Do smart people use smartphones to do dumb things? What's the answer? We all do, we all do dumb things at some point. And so I think this morning, this passage that we will be reading has to do with wisdom. We need to have wisdom to live, to live well. We don't want to live like dummies. Uh, I guess a more important question to follow up on that advertisement is, do Christians, God's people, use their smart bodies to do dumb things? Answer? Yes. We misuse our bodies. We misuse our resources. We misuse our time. And sometimes we regret it later on. And we ask, couldn't I be wiser? And hopefully the next time we get a chance, the opportunity to do something great for the Lord, we will not waste that opportunity. Now, we have been doing that. We've been wasting God's resources. We have been doing dumb things with our resources. Since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they felt that they were wise. They want to be wiser and got into the trap of Satan. And so Paul exhorts us in this part of Ephesians. It says, be very careful then how you live. And the word we said, how you live, is the word walk. Be careful how you walk, your Christian walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, we are to live or walk wisely. We must not be fools or unwise. Who is a wise person? What makes a person wise? Have you asked yourself that question? Now, in the Old Testament, uh, we have many words to describe the word wisdom, and this is the most common, chokmah. Uh, you can find it in Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. You don't have to turn to it. Basically, in chapter 1 of Proverbs, you find Solomon look at the word wisdom from different facets. It's sort of like a diamond with different faces. And as you look at the way he described it, this creature, this character, this this is what we, we want we want to be wise. How? And he describes it. Wisdom comes out in the way we use our resources, our skills. It comes out in how we handle things, prudence. It has to do with discipline. It has to do with moral instruction. It has to do with discernment, insight, intelligence, experiential knowledge, planning, 
and directions. All these are facets of wisdom. Uh, in fact, in Proverbs 8, you know, we sang a song just now. It just occurred to me, the first part of the song talks about uh, The first part of the song talks about, sorry, I lost. Yes, the first part of the song is actually taken from Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 actually has the personification of wisdom. If you go back and look at chapter 8, there is one part that talks about the fact that before the world was created, wisdom was there. And wisdom was walking hand in hand with God the Father before eternity. Remember we sang a song? Before eternity, Jesus Christ was already there. And then in chapter 9, this is a chart of chapter 9 of Proverbs. And actually it draws a distinction between a person who is wise and a person who is foolish. And if you turn, I, why don't you turn to it? Then you can go down the line and Observe this with me very quickly. A guy who is wise is industrious. The opposite, the fool is lazy. She sits at her door and she waits for things to happen. But the person who is wise goes after things, goes after what needs to be done. Uh, the wise person cares. The wise person invites. In fact, wisdom is calling to people, come, come and enjoy a good life. But you know what happens? Foolishness in the form of a person is also calling people. And I think that is the reason why as believers, as Christians, we hear all these voices. We hear people who are wise telling us, you need to do this. If you are applying to go to school, these are the things you need to do. Uh, if you uh, want to be dating, these are the things you need to be looking out for. Wisdom. Uh, how to please your parents. These are the steps you need to take. On the other hand, you have other people who say, ah, your parents are old-fashioned, you know, they're in a new age. This is how you should treat them. So you hear voices. Foolishness invites us, follow them. And so, question is, which crowd are you following? Which voice are you listening to? So in some sense, I think it's a bad idea to be sitting with your peers. You know why? Because if you have a bad idea going around, you all get it. Uh, wisdom fears the Lord. The origin of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. Uh, and at the end, in verse 12, it says, but if you are wise, you will receive rewards. And on the other hand, the, the folly, the fool, he is simple. He's a simpleton. He, get, he, gets, he gets cheated. He gets fooled easily. That's why he's simple-minded. He's naive. He suffers. He is loud. Ah, he is undisciplined. He is without knowledge. He lacks judgment. And what happened is that folly is, you know why it is so, foolishness is so attractive? Look at verse 17 and 18. It is sweet. It is delicious. But it's deadly. And I pray that we, we look at it. Why is it that we, we fall prey why did Adam and Eve fall prey? Because the, the end result seemed to be so inviting. Oh, you will be wise. You'll be wiser than God. So you have all these descriptions of wisdom. And I, I bring this up because that's what we want to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be wise. I want to read the wisdom book. I want to be a, wise, a wiser person than I am now. The long and short of it all is that a wise person is, after being trained and goaded, he would be skillful, he would be prudent, he would be disciplined, he would be moral, he would be discerning, insightful, intelligent, sensible, experienced, and he plans, he seeks for direction. And he seeks for direction because he fears God. He wants to walk in the right path. I think that's the reason why when Solomon prayed, it was such a wonderful prayer. His first prayer that he uttered, God told him, you can ask for anything. And what did he ask? He asked for wisdom. He could have asked for riches. 
That was such a wise prayer. He asked for wisdom. And this morning, Paul, in this passage in Ephesians, is telling us, be wise. Don't be a fool. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I think that's the, the key there. If we don't fear God, if we don't honor Him, if we don't think that He is, he is able to grant us the wishes, He's able to change us, we will never be wise. The, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But what happens? Fools despise discipline and wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the chapter that I alluded you to, the fear of the Lord, almost similar. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we know God, we know our Maker, we are better at knowing how to live because He's the owner. He has the owner's manual, so to speak. Now, in the New Testament, something else is added besides all these facets of wisdom. Wisdom is not just those attributes we talk about, discernment, intelligence, but in the New Testament, what happens there is a subtle switch. Wisdom becomes a person. You know, I think it's easier for me to learn something if I see somebody doing it. And in the New Testament, what happens is that Jesus is the personification of wisdom. Jesus is wisdom itself. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, it is because of Jesus that you are in Christ Jesus. It's a very funny, awkward translation, but that's basically what Paul was saying. It is because of Jesus that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. He is God's wisdom for us. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus Christ is himself our wisdom. It is even clearer in Colossians 2. 2 to 3, it says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. That's another way of saying be wise. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus Christ is this rich treasure. And if we have Him, we have this rich treasure, we will become wise and be able to understand mysteries. Uh, I think WWJD is a pretty good acronym. What would Jesus do? I think if we ask ourselves enough time when we are faced with a decision, what would Jesus do in this situation? Often, we are not far from the mark because Jesus lives, lived a very wise life. He's never hurried. He's always there and he answers very accurately. He's wise in his answers. I think we can learn a lot just walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how we can be wise? One sentence. Walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Question this morning to you is, you know at the bottom there, uh, it says making the most of your walk in wisdom. Question is, are you walking with the Lord Jesus Christ today? If you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ today, you'll be wiser than yesterday. Jesus is wisdom from God. If we want to be wise, we have got to know Him and be in Him and be abiding in Him. Those are the words we hear, walking with Him. We are known by the company we keep. And often here, our parents say, wow, please, pastor, please pray for my, my, my kid. Why? Because my kid is in bad company. We are known by the company we keep, right? And so if you want to be wise, be with a wise person. And the best person to be with is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so during Easter, remember, we often go and read Luke 24. You remember the passage where uh, the, the two disciples were so, they were so dejected. Jesus was crucified. It was early Sunday morning and they were so discouraged. 
Jesus is dead, our movement is over. And what happened? Jesus went alongside, walked along them, and began to explain that the Messiah must suffer. And their eyes opened. And because of that walk with the Lord Jesus Christ that morning, what happened? Their hearts burned with new expectation. Suddenly their eyes opened. They understood the promises of the Old Testament. They became wiser. A believer of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be wise. Believers ought to be wise people. Now, how do we become wise? Now, I kind of sort of alluded to some of those things. Paul said we must do two things from the passage we read this morning, Ephesians 5. There are two things that we have to do. There are more, I'm sure. You look at other places. Uh, look at Proverbs. It will tell us how to be wise. But Paul told us two things from the text. Let's go back to the text. Ephesians 5. We read it this just now. Be very careful then how you live. How to live so that you will be wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Can you pick up the two points? The first thing is, a wise person. You want to be a wise person. A wise person makes the most of every opportunity. Do you make use of every opportunity that is given to you? You know the word make the most in the Greek is to buy back something from the market. It is like redeeming a, a slave, setting a slave free. See, God has given us resources. And he, in some translation, in fact, that's the word used, redeem the time. Are we redeeming the time? The time is being used for something else. But God is asking us, buy those, that time, buy that opportunity back. Use that opportunity for the kingdom and not for yourself or for someone else. And it says, make the most of every opportunity. The word opportunity is the word time. Now, there are two words for time in the New Testament. Uh, you know, you have, some of us carried a chronom... What's the word? Chronometer, uh, a, a watch that tells very accurate time. But this is not the word there. That is second, minute, and hour. This translation of time is kairos, meaning opportune time. That means that's the best time to do what needs to be done. Do, he, Paul is asking, if you want to be wise, a wise person will catch the opportunity and not let the opportunity get away. He makes use of that opportunity because opportunity don't always come. When they, be, and when they come, grab hold of the opportunity. A wise person embraces interruptions as opportunities. Do you realize that we are always interrupted? Do you find yourself, you want to do something great? Ah, I think I need to pray more. And then you start praying and your friend calls. Or, oh, well, I think 8 o'clock is a great time to do Bible study. And at 8.05, there's an emergency at home and your wife calls up and says, the drain is stuck. Right? Have you got those kind of calls? Crisis. Opportunities. And often we see them as obstacles. We see them as bad things. But Paul is saying that, do you know what? Those those bad things, those interruptions could be just the opportunity God is giving us to be a servant, to help someone. Instead of seeing this person as interrupting me, I'm in a, I'm in a very serious meeting. Don't interrupt me. But maybe the person has a life and, or death situation. And if we miss the opportunity of helping this person, this person may go off and say, Christians only talk about love. But when the rubber meets the road, when I need love, I need help, they don't offer it. They only say it. I hope that's not true of your life. This week I've been reading through the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph had so many interruptions. Joseph had so many crises in his life, crises that he didn't plan. He was sold into slavery. Who wants to be sold into slavery? 
Now, is that an opportunity to do good or to just complain? I, I think I put myself in Joseph's shoe. I would be complaining. I would be mourning and groaning. Lord, this is terrible. I probably will be a very bad slave. I know myself. That's human nature. But Joseph was a good slave. He was such a good slave, he got promoted to be the chief slave, but still a slave. All right? He was, he was a good worker. Why? Because he saw that no matter what situation he was in, he ought to be God's champion, that people can see he's God. And so much so that his boss came around and said, I can see that your God is working in your life. That's why I'm promoting you. And that didn't happen once. It happened a few times in Joseph's life. So Joseph had many obstacles. But he used the obstacles and turned them into opportunities. I don't know about you. Maybe to you right now, some of us, oh, exams, pastor, exam is a big obstacle. Well, yeah, it's a big obstacle. I've been there, you know. But the exam could be an opportunity to shine. Uh, it could be an opportunity for you to work with somebody who is worse than you, who's struggling with math or statistics or whatever, and you would be the friend there. And I know some of you are laughing, but you know, we are so selfish most of the time, human nature, that we think of ourselves first. But if we have these interruptions and see them as God's opportunity to be His spokesperson, I think we'll do a lot of good, right? So look around you, in your office, when you go to work tomorrow, people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ have tons of problems. Do you believe in that? I believe in that. I go to work, I was working for the government for five years, I worked in the army for two years, and that's when I go to work in the morning, that's what I believe. I believe that every moment, no, not every day, I'm not that spiritual, but most days, I went knowing that, hey, this could be an opportunity. No, of course I gripe, I complain to myself. Sometimes it slips up and somebody hears my complaint. I'm human. Because opportunities are often disguised as obstacles. When it comes to you, like, wow, I have to do extra duty this weekend. Somebody just cancels their name out and put my name on, and I have to be at work. I have to be in the base. I couldn't be in church. I, that natural thing is to gripe. But you know what happens? I saw the opportunity later on. I got to walk around. Uh, you know, I'm in the army, boss in the army. I do, we do duties, we have to walk around the base in twos with gu loaded guns. That's in Singapore, okay? And what happens? This person who is walking with me, we get to talk. And you know, on Sunday, it's 24 hours. It's 8 a.m. Sunday to 8 a.m. Monday. You get to walk with different people. They have no choice but to walk with you. Now, that is called a captive audience. Now, that's an obstacle. Wow, I have to be, I can't be in church. And there are many, many such examples. What are the obstacles God is putting in your life that maybe you can see them as opportunities to do good? I'm not sure whether you have seen this. I was asked to show you this because of what I'm going to show you later on. You know, sometimes cell phones will ring, right? In the middle of something important and disrupts everybody's thought. Okay. In July of 2011, there was a Slovak musician, Lukas Kmit. He gave a viola recital in a synagogue in Slovakia. Someone's Nokia cell phone, they have a distinctive tone, right? Rang before he could finish the recital. And this was his reaction. Now, I want to show you this because why? It's an obstacle. It was a problem. My recital is so important. And this person is so insensitive as to leave the cell phone on. 
and every attention is drawn there. Now see how this person handles it. Is it an opportunity or is it an obstacle? Uh, I guess we need sound. Okay, that was an interruption, okay? And we have all these interruptions in life. Uh, I think if you know musicians, musicians are very temperamental. They, they, are, they have temper. I can see him, I guess uh, he won't do that because he's probably his viola is expensive. I can picture him using it and whacking it on the head of the person, <laughs> okay? Now, that's an obstacle. It happens all the time. How do we deal with it? What, how did he deal with it? He used the interruption and composed his version of the Nokia cell phone tune. So I'm just wondering, tomorrow, today, when you go back and all of a sudden you are interrupted, I hope you will see the interruption as God ordained and change it and use that opportunity for him. So for this guy, he was a genius. He did that. He didn't lose his temper. But you look at his face, he wasn't exactly thrilled. So make the most of every opportunity. That's basically Paul's point. We will get interrupted. But see the interruptions as opportunities for doing good. You know, this year, 2000 and, uh, 2011, last year, 2012, this year, I just received open doors Ministries 2011 report about what is happening around the world. And in their report, they said, your support, let me quote, quote, your support vital as 2012 brings new threats and opportunities for, for persecuted Christians. See, in the same sentence, they say, threats. Aren't those obstacles? But they are opportunities as well. Opportunities what? In the midst of threats and persecutions, they said there are, there are tough situations in North Africa, Middle East. It's volatile, it's unstable, and there are aftershocks from the protests in last spring. They're still being felt. Christians are affected. And they are saying that those are bad things. But those things can also be used as opportunities. It's a double challenge. You know, Steve Jobs died last year. And it was reported in USA Today that he never went back to church after seeing a photo of starving children on the cover of Life magazine. And he went, he was 13 years old, he went and talked to his youth pastor and said, what is God doing about it? Now, I did, didn't read the interview itself, okay? And he left church and he never went back. Now, I don't know what the youth pastor told him. Obviously, it was something that he didn't like to hear. Maybe the youth pastor gave a correct answer, but he didn't like the correct answer. Uh, I was thinking that that was an opportunity because he asked. And I'm thinking of our 13-year-olds in, in the church. The moment they ask, they have a situation they can't deal with. Are there adults? Are there wise people who will make use of that, not as an interruption, oh, don't, don't bother me, I'm busy, and answer that? Maybe it will change that person's life. I don't know. Gandhi, 
was so attracted by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, he went to church. Mahatma Gandhi, the founder of modern India, he was studying to be a lawyer in South Africa. He went to church, but what happened? It was a white church. They basically closed the door in his face. He got so turned away, he never went back. But you know, you can see from the way he explains his non-violent movement, he learned a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. He was attracted to Jesus Christ, but he did not find somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who lived out the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to show him. So the wise person makes the most of every opportunity. And so Paul gives the reason why. Why must we make use of every opportunity? Because the, he gave the reason. The days are evil. It's not just a bad day. You know, days you have a bad headache. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a morally evil, wicked environment. And I think we are in that morally wicked environment right now. And because of that, we ought to be wise. We ought to make use of every opportunity. Brothers and sisters, my fellow believers, are you making most of every opportunity to redeem your time? Let's make the most of every opportunity. This morning, I taught Sunday school, and we were looking at Josh McDowell, one of his first books. Discovered, he wrote it in 1977 or 73, I can't remember, but before many of the Sunday school students were born, it was written that long ago. And in that book, he basically outlined why he was searching, why he became a Christian. Now, in his book, More Than a Carpenter, this was what he said. He experienced firsthand what Christianity was like when he saw a group of Christians. He went to church, he did all kinds of things. He was looking for answers from, in education. He thought a degree would give him satisfaction or honor uh, or many other things. But he didn't find the answers there until he met a group of Christians who exemplify Christ. Let me quote. About that time, I noticed a small group of people, eight students and two faculty members, who seemed different from the others. They seemed to know what they were and where they were going because he was asking those big questions. Who am I? Where I came from? Where am I going? And they seem to know where they are going, and they had convictions. It is refreshing to find people with convictions, and I like to be around them. I admire people who believe in something and take a stand for it, even if I don't agree with their beliefs. It was clear to me that these people had something I didn't have. They were disgustingly happy, and their happiness didn't ride up and down. We're talking about circumstances, right? Their happiness has nothing to do with the circumstances. They are happy when they are down. They are happy when they are up. And their happiness didn't ride up and down with the circumstances of university life. It was constant. They appeared to possess an inner source of joy. And I wondered where it came from. Something else about these people caught my attention. Their attitudes and actions toward each other. They genuinely loved each other and not only each other, but the people outside their group as well. And I don't mean they just talked about love. They got involved in people's life, helping them with their needs and problems. It was all totally foreign to me, yet I was strongly attracted to them. And I think we need that kind of Christianity, where Christians use every opportunity to be an ambassador where we are. Are we making a difference? So, wise person makes use of every opportunity. And secondly, a wise person is one who seeks to understand the will of the Lord. And it's found in verse 17. Therefore, do not be a fool, but understand what the Lord's will is. And if you have been paying attention, if you read the book of Ephesians, the will of God is very clear. He talks about it. In fact, in verse 10, just seven verses earlier, he says, and find out what pleases God. God is not, He's not testing us and not giving us the answer. He has given us all the answers. It's an open book exam. Don't you like that, those kind of exams? Open book, the answers are right there. 
We have to find out. So go back to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy. What pleases God? Live a life worthy. Call yourself a Christian? Live like a Christian. Verse 30 of chapter 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit? Don't do that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Are we unforgiving? Then be forgiving. That's how we exemplify wisdom. So a wise person is a person who uses every opportunity to please the Lord. And secondly, a wise person is a person who seeks to understand the will of the Lord. Now, I know all of us, most of us have used a GPS. And so you punch in your direction, the location. And what happens? You get in your car, turn on your GPS, you have that nice sound, computer voice telling you, turn left, three miles down the road, turn right, and even give you the name of the road. Isn't it good? But what happens? Sometimes we don't obey the GPS. Uh, we're going to take a snack somewhere, so we go off the side road, right? Uh, or we need to pump gas, we get off. And what happens? The device says, redirecting. Does the voice scold you? You nincompoop. You idiot. I say, go this way. And you went that way. Does the voice say that? No, it says, redirecting. In the same nice tone, like nothing has happened. All right? That's exactly what God does to us. God says, be wise. Walk this way. And what happens? We don't take his advice. We go off the wrong way. But what happens? He redirects. He redirects. And I've been looking at my own life as I prepare this message. God has been redirecting me from the stupid decisions I've made in my life. I've made many stupid decisions. But you know, God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. And if we walk with Him, even with all the mistakes we make, he will redirect us, He will be gracious to us, and He will help us find our way back. And we will end up in the direction that He wants us. And what's the direction? Be a wise person. And so if we goofed, we went off, we went in the wrong direction, He's asking us, come back. Be wise. Use every opportunity to do God's will. Shall we stand together and pray? We'll ask the music team to lead us in a song of response. Father, we want to thank you this morning that, Father, you have given us your precious word. It came down to us through blood, sweat, and tears that men wrote it and have, they have given your word, precious word to us. And Lord, this morning you have admonished us, you have asked us, it's good to be a wise person, but there is a price to pay. It is to listen, to do your will. So Father, I pray that when it gets hard, give us the backbone, give us the willingness to submit. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be thou my vision. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou
Is your wisdom to us. So help us, Lord, to walk with Him each day. And as we walk with Him and learn of Him and learn from Him, and as He dwells within us, and your word richly dwells within each one of us, that we become wiser people for you. We pray and give you thanks in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Please be seated. Another sudden med meditation will dismiss. Please be reminded. Help us move the chairs for the Tuesday Children's Upward Basketball. And if you want a copy of this, it's, I have one copy here and there are several copies outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm.